Before we get started, I just wanted to offer a quick thank you to all those who have supported the Catechism in a Year or the Bible in a Year podcast. We hear stories every day about how those shows have transformed people's lives. And because of your prayers and financial gifts, you are a significant part of that. You might ask a question, though. The question is, what does Ascension do with these financial gifts? Great question. The answer is we make authentically Catholic podcasts and videos and other digital content to help people know the Catholic faith and grow closer to God every day. And we do it all for free. If you found this podcast to be helpful in your life and would like to help us continue making free Catholic content we can post online, please consider making a financial contribution, an ongoing financial contribution by going to ascensionpress.com slash support. That's ascensionpress.com slash support. Thank you and God bless. Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and you're listening to the Catechism in a Year podcast, where we encounter God's plan of sheer goodness for us, revealed in Scripture, and passed down through the tradition of the Catholic faith. The Catechism in a Year is brought to you by Ascension. In 365 days, we'll read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church, discovering our identity in God's family as we journey together toward our heavenly home. It is day 95. We're reading paragraphs 668 to 674. As always, I'm using the Ascension edition of the Catechism, which includes the Foundations of Faith approach. You can follow along with any recent version of the Catechism. Catechism of the Catholic Church. We also can download the Catechism in a Year reading plan by visiting ascensionpress.com slash CIY. And you can also click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily updates and daily notifications. Just a quick thank you again, once again, gosh, all the time we want to thank you for those who have supported the production of this podcast by your prayers and financial gifts. We couldn't do this without you. As I said, it is day 95, reading paragraphs 668 to 674. We're on article seven, which is from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And this declaration that we make today, that Jesus will come again in glory. And so what we're going to hear today, it's kind of two days, today and tomorrow, this section. Today, we're going to talk about how Christ already reigns through the church, that the Christ's kingdom has been established on this earth through his church. So it's already here. And at the same time, it is still to come, right? So there's this reality of already and not yet. So what are the ways in which Jesus Christ continues to reign? Well, part of that is he continues to reign in his church, his body on earth. Another thing, he continues to reign because he is exalted in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He is head of the kingdom. He is head of the church. And so he reigns in paragraph 671 and 672. It says, until all things are subjected to him. And so we recognize that here's the first line of 671. It says, though already present in his church, remember, because Christ already reigns in his church, though already present in his church, Christ's reign is nevertheless yet to be fulfilled with power and great glory by the king's return to earth. And so recognize that this kingdom, this reign is still under attack on earth, right? We are called uh, the church militant. (laughs) We are the church who um, continues to fight in the name of Jesus Christ against the powers and principalities on the earth and under the earth. And so here is Jesus. We continue to pray for him to return, even though he's with us, right? Even though his church is established on this earth, even though uh, the kingdom reigns in heaven, there is still the time of waiting, right? We, we await the Christ's return with power and great glory. And so we have this prayer that we always pray, Maranatha or Maranatha, right? Come Lord Jesus. Um, yet at the same time, I love this. This last section, paragraphs 673 to 674, talk about the glorious advent of Christ, the hope of Israel. Now, tomorrow we'll talk about the church's ultimate trial and the Antichrist and whatnot. But these sections, 673 and 674, highlight the fact that this is something we believe as Christians. We've talked about this before. But Jesus Christ is the fulfillment 
of every promise that God made to the people of Israel. And so Christ is, Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. And I know that can sound so triumphalistic. That can sound so kind of like, hey, we win, but it's not we. We got brought into this. We get grafted onto the tree, as St. Paul says. What Christ wants, what God wants is for the people of Israel to win. And so in paragraphs 673 and 674, it talks about this last line here is the full inclusion of the Jews in the Messiah's salvation in the wake of the full number of Gentiles will enable the people of God to achieve the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in which God may be all in all. This is the great prayer and the great hope that not only here we are, having been brought into Christ's body, having been brought into Christ's reign, into his church, into his kingdom, and yet there is something undone when the people of God, that when we read the Old Testament, when we recognize the great love God has for the chosen people of Israel, for the chosen Jewish people, you can imagine the great pain for all those chosen people, all the Jewish people who do not yet know Jesus. And so we continue not only to pray for ourselves, Jesus come, Lord Jesus come, but also we pray for that fulfillment, the fulfillment of the chosen people of God, the Jewish people, um, who indeed, that God has not revoked his choosing of them. He has not turned back his love. He has not turned back. He's not voided his covenant. He wants it to be fulfilled in the life of every human being. And in particular, in a particular mysterious, beautiful way, in the life of every Jewish person. And so, yeah, that's just, that's just a powerful thing. And it might be seem, sound strange to say, uh, because we kind of live in a culture that is live and let live. Of course we live and let live at the same time. Uh, it's not, I don't care about you (laughs) At, at the same time. We realize that the more we care about someone, the more we want them to know the fullness of what God wants for them. And that's true of our family members. That's true of our friends. That's true of ourselves. You know, that you are someone who's worth loving, that you are someone who's worth taking care of. And we believe that even though we have a division when it comes to religion, when it comes to what we believe and who we follow, that we do proclaim and profess that Jesus, God our Father, and the Holy Spirit, they have not revoked their choosing of the people of Israel, of the Jewish people. So we pray. We pray now uh, for ourselves. We pray for the church on earth, for the kingdom yet to come. And we pray for all people on earth, all people on earth who do not yet know Jesus Christ. So we pray, Father in heaven, we ask you, please send your Holy Spirit into our hearts that we can be fully converted to you. Please send your Holy Spirit into the hearts of all of our friends, our family members who have walked away from the church, those who have never encountered you and your love. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon um, all people who share other beliefs, that they may be drawn by your spirit of truth to your very heart, which is truth. Lord God, Your son, Jesus Christ, declared that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to you except through him. And so we ask, please help us all, all of us, um, whether we are professing Christians or not, help us all to come to know the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. And by that knowledge, by that following of him, to come to you, Father. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I said, it is day 95. We're reading paragraphs 668 to 674. Article 7. From there, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. He will come again in glory. Christ already reigns through the church. St. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, states, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Christ's ascension into heaven signifies his participation in his humanity in God's power and authority. Jesus Christ is Lord. 
He possesses all power in heaven and on earth. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. For the Father has put all things under his feet. Christ is Lord of the cosmos and of history. In him, human history and indeed all creation are set forth and transcendentally fulfilled. As Lord, Christ is also head of the church, which is his body. Taken up to heaven and glorified after he had thus fully accomplished his mission, Christ dwells on the earth in his church. The redemption is the source of the authority that Christ, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, exercises over the church. As Lumen Gentium states, The kingdom of Christ is already present in mystery, on earth, the seed and the beginning of the kingdom. Since the ascension, God's plan has entered into its fulfillment. We are already at the last hour. Already, the final age of the world is with us, and the renewal of the world is irrevocably underway. It is even now anticipated in a certain real way, for the church on earth is endowed already with a sanctity that is real but imperfect. Christ's kingdom already manifests its presence through the miraculous signs that attend its proclamation by the church. Until all things are subjected to him. Though already present in his church, Christ's reign is nevertheless yet to be fulfilled with power and great glory by the king's return to earth. This reign is still under attack by the evil powers, even though they have been defeated definitively by Christ's Passover. Until everything is subject to him, until there be realized new heavens and a new earth in which justice dwells, the pilgrim church in her sacraments and institutions which belong to this present age carries the mark of this world which will pass and she herself takes her place among the creatures which groan and travail yet and await the revelation of the sons of God. That is why Christians pray, above all in the Eucharist, to hasten Christ's return by saying to him, Maranatha, our Lord, come. Before his ascension, Christ affirmed that the hour had not yet come for the glorious establishment of the messianic kingdom awaited by Israel, which, according to the prophets, was to bring all men the definitive order of justice, love, and peace. According to the Lord, the present time is the time of the Spirit and of witness, but also a time still marked by distress and the trial of evil which does not spare the church and ushers in the struggles of the last days. It is a time of waiting and watching. The Glorious Advent of Christ, the Hope of Israel Since the ascension, Christ's coming and glory has been imminent, even though it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has fixed by His own authority. This eschatological coming could be accomplished at any moment, even if both it and the final trial that will precede it are delayed. The glorious Messiah's coming is suspended at every moment of history until his recognition by all Israel, for a hardening has come upon part of Israel in their unbelief toward Jesus. St. Peter says to the Jews of Jerusalem after Pentecost, Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for establishing all that God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. St. Paul echoes him, saying, For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? The full inclusion of the Jews in the Messiah's salvation in the wake of the full number of the Gentiles will enable the people of God to achieve the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, in which God may be all in all. All right, there it is, day 95. We're reading paragraphs 668 to 674. Um, there's something so powerful about this, this reality that, yes, 
um, from there, he will come again to judge the living and the dead, that Jesus will come again in glory, that he already is established in his church. One of the things we recognize is that, as we said before, Jesus is the Messiah. As the Messiah, he has established the kingdom. That's one of the things that the Messiah would do. He's established the kingdom. And we recognize that the kingdom is the church, the church on earth. And so in paragraph 669, it says, as Lord, Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. And this is so important. The body of Christ on earth also has a head. Now we need both, right? And this is one of those declarations that as we dive more deeply later on into the reality of the church and the necessity of the church, we're going to be reminded of this, is that the church on earth is Christ's body. So we need the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church and we need the head. There's a problem sometimes people have when they have maybe, a, I don't want to say like a, a merely a one-on-one relationship with Jesus. Now, of course, we all need to have a one-on-one relationship with Jesus. All of us need to have a personal relationship with Christ. In fact, that's why we're made. We're made to have a personal relationship with the Holy Trinity. At the same time, we are meant to have a communal relationship with his body. So to have a relationship with merely the head and and to like essentially remove ourselves or to consider ourselves exempt from the body would be to decapitate Jesus in some ways, right? It'd be kind of like cradling the head and ignoring the body. We are made as Christians, we're made to not only uh, love our head, Jesus Christ, but also to love his body, the church. Go, goes on to say, so this is real. This church dwells on earth and Christ dwells on earth in his church. Paragraph 670 highlights this, that since the ascension, God's plan has entered into its fulfillment. We're already at the last hour. So we think like, when is it going to come? When is Jesus going to come again? Well, we're already in the last hour. This is the final age and goes on to say, already the final age of the world is with us. This is from Lumen Gentium. Already the final age of the world is with us. The renewal of the world is irrevocably underway. So not only is this, the, these are the last days, but the renewal of the world, this is remarkable. Like the Holy Spirit is, is present here on this planet. The Holy Spirit is present in every single Christian. And so there's this renewal of the world that is irrevocably underway. It goes on to say, it is even now anticipated in a certain real way for the church on earth is endowed already with a sanctity that is real. The church on earth is a endowed already with a sanctity that is real. The church is holy. This is one of the things, again, in in coming days, when we hit the church, we're going to talk about this. The Holy Spirit is the soul of the church. And therefore, the church is holy. The church is the body of Christ. Therefore, the church is holy. It already has a sanctity. And that's why it's very important for us to, to emphasize this and to be able to truly and boldly proclaim this, that by virtue of the Holy Spirit, that Christ's kingdom is already The church on earth is endowed already with a sanctity that is real. The last two words of that sentence, though, it says, again, the church on earth is endowed already with a sanctity that is real. It's already holy. The last two words of that statement, though, are real. And here's the last two words, but imperfect. So the church has a sanctity, has a holiness that is real, but imperfect. And we recognize this. The church is divine and human, right? The church is is yes, the the soul of the holy of the the soul of the church is the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, the church is also comprised of human beings who are like us, and they are we're broken, and we're claimed by Jesus, right? We're we're made holy by Jesus. We're claimed by by Him, and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. But we realize this that we can be holy in a unique way, and at the same time broken, and so. Why would we expect anything different from 
the church of God. The church is already endowed with a sanctity that is real but imperfect. Now, we go on and say in paragraph 671, this is so important. So already Christ's reign is present in the church, and yet it is still yet to come. And so we recognize, yes, this is the last age. Yep, this is the, the final age of the world is with us, and this renewal is happening right now. And at the same time, this reign is still under attack by the evil powers. You know, tomorrow we're going to talk about that. Tomorrow we're going to talk briefly about the Antichrist, just real briefly. We recognize that the church is, the reign of the kingdom of God is still under attack by the evil powers, even though they have been defeated definitively by Christ's Passover. And so there's this recognition that we're already and not yet. That's kind of the phrase that maybe you've heard that phrase before, but that the, that the kingdom is established already and not yet. That Christ has come. Yes, he definitely has come. And so this reality of his reign is already, it's already here and not yet. There is something that's been done and there's something yet to be done. And so he has won definitively. And at the same time, there is still a battle to be fought. If you're familiar at all with uh, the book, The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, you'll recognize that if you've ever read those books, uh, maybe even have watched the movies, um, one of the critiques about the final movie, The Return of the King, is that, you know, the goal of the whole movie is to destroy the ring. And then they destroy the ring. Sorry, spoiler. <laughs> they destroy the ring. And then what happens is there's a lot of movie left. There's my, I don't know I don't, I didn't add it up. Maybe there's like 45 minutes left. In fact, people complained about how there are multiple endings to this movie where you're like, okay, that's the end. Oh, wait, there's more. Oh, that's the end. Oh, wait, there's more, you know, fades to black. And that was another scene. Well, that was kind of the critique in some ways from people who didn't understand Tolkien's original work where here, here's the ring that's been destroyed. Here are the hobbits that get rescued. The, the, the fellowship gets reunited. That's it. Well, it's not, that's not it because what happens is the hobbits then return to the Shire. That's their original home, that their home that had been pretty much untouched by darkness. But while they were away on this journey to, def to destroy the ring and to defeat the evil one, Sauron, what happened was evil had infected their home. So even while that, you know, the big bad guy, Sauron, had been definitively defeated when that ring was destroyed, they come back to their home and realize, oh my gosh, evil, the effects of evil has touched our home. The effects of evil have touched the people around us. And so there still is a battle to fight, even though there's been a definitive victory. And so there's this, I think one of the final chapters is called the scouring of the Shire. And so basically evil has been defeated and yet there's still work to be done. Uh, that there's consequences to evil, just like there's consequences to good. And so here we are, we find ourselves, Jesus Christ has conquered death. He's conquered the evil one. And yet there still is a battle to fight. In paragraph 672, it highlights this, and it says, according to the Lord, the present time is the time of the spirit and of witness. That's, that's what's been given to us, right? We worship God now in spirit and in truth, and we give witness to him. That's what he says before he ascends to heaven. You, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. But also, it's a time still marked by distress and the trial of evil, which does not spare the church. This is important for us Think about this. Here's the church writing in the 90s. They were in the 80s when they began writing this. It's a time still marked by distress and the trial of evil, which does not spare the church. And we recognize, I think it's it'd be pretty, um, pretty I don't know, stupid, <laughs> pretty ignorant of ourselves to deny that the trial of evil, of course, has entered the church as well as it's entered every aspect, every corner of humanity. And we have not been spared. The trial of evil has not been spared. Um, the church has been just in any other way. 
as in any other area in our lives, even in our own hearts, church has been just as affected by this trial of evil as any other place, which is one of the reasons why we have to keep on fighting. In fact, this uh, paragraph 672 concludes by saying, this trial of evil, which does not spare the church and ushers in the struggles of the last days, it is a time of waiting and watching. And so that's what we have to do. We always have to be vigilant. That's that waiting and watching, being vigilant. Remember back um, and we were reading the books of the prophets in the Old Testament during the Bible in a year, and there was the, the, the watchman, and the watchman has to watch, right? The, the, the job of the watchman is to be on guard, is to be vigilant. The job of the watchman is to say, okay, when there is good, I will call out and point out the good and say, that's where we're going. When there is evil, we must be willing to call out and point out the evil. And for too long, for too long, what we do in our own lives is we let the evil in our hearts, in our actions, in our relationships, we let the evil just remain in darkness. And that's what in the church we've done at times too, is we let the evil remain in darkness and don't bring it into the light. And yet this is part of the challenge, a time of waiting and watching, time of being vigilant and actually fighting and realizing that part of that fight is simply, imagine this, part of that fight is simply bringing what is dark into the light. And that's where we start today. And that's, and that's one of the things for us right now we can start today is what is in my own heart that is in shadow? What's in my own heart that is in darkness? Because here you are, if you've been baptized as a Christian, if you've been confirmed by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's God's done a miracle in you and that he, he is victory, right? You are part of the kingdom. You've been brought into the body of Christ. So you're holy. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And at the same time, if you're like me, you're broken. If you're like me, there's part of your life, there's part of your heart that remains in shadow. And so, just like the church, just like Christ's kingdom on earth, there is holiness and there is brokenness. And one of the first things we need to do in this time of waiting and watching is bring what's broken to the Lord to be healed, to bring what is in shadow into the light, to bring what is in darkness to be seen. And so that's what we do today and we do every day. Uh, that takes a lot of guts though. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of grace. And so please pray for each other that we have that grace. Please pray for me and I'm praying for you. <laughs> Man, what a great day and a great invitation to know that you're made holy even though we remain broken. But these are the last age. These are the last days. This is the last age, the last final age of purification and of glorification for the Lord. So I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. My name is Father Mike. I cannot wait to see you tomorrow. God bless.